you, you and I are living in a very pivotal time in human history, and uh, I think we should recognize that and not be so uh, lackadaisical. Lackadaisical sort of is a good word that helps us not to say happy-go-lucky. <laughs> I'm not too, I don't believe in luck, you know, so happy-go-lucky and fancy-free and those kinds of things. Yes, it's just we don't want to be uh, unaware of the things that are going on around us and our part in them. I think I would like to perhaps in some way, uh, whether by implication or directly, just to show tonight uh, our part in what God is doing in the world. When I read the Bible, I find that uh, I see myself. And it, I didn't always see myself in it, but I see myself in it, and I see myself fulfilling Scripture, and I, I know that we as a body are doing the same, and that's not blasphemous, it's the truth. Let's look at um, Romans chapter 11, and I want to try to make some progress there. We've been, I can't say stuck because it has sort of a negative connotation, but we have been plugged into Romans 11 for a while. You know? So let's read some scriptures, and what I would like to do is read uh, to catch you up to speed, if that's all right, unless you were reading it all during the day, uh, Romans 11. So let's read the first 10 verses to catch us up to speed and I will make sure I don't uh, amplify them at all with any of my words. So you just listen attentively, and if the enemy tries to give you another thought, rebuke him. Amen. Yeah, just tell him, no, you know, move out of here. All right, let's read Romans 11, verse, uh, verses 1 through 10. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it. But the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. And so we find here that Israel, because of her rejection of God and total disobedience, disobedience, God as 
a group, as a nation, did these things. So they could not find him as a nation. They could not find him. But there was a remnant, a small portion in every generation of Jewish people who found Jesus Christ, who were saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the rest had eyes that could not determine what they were seeing and ears that could not decipher what they were hearing. And that table of blessing that they were supposed to have uh, became just the opposite. It became a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. And so David said, let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. And so, but Paul tells us, and we want to catch up here in verse 11, says Israel's rejection is not final. And uh, let me, let me read, uh, go back to my, my chapter here. Okay. So he says here, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? And that meant beyond recovery. He says, certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Verse 13 says, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. And so Paul tells us that because of Israel's um, fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation came to all of us. So salvation came to us to make them jealous. We've talked about that a lot. And again, I want to repeat, uh, as I did, uh, I think the last time I was here, is that it's it's not so much ironic. I think it's a God thing that we're talking about this here to, uh, with you. We're talking about these things at a time when Israel is in trouble. You may say, well, no, Israel's not in trouble. The opposition's in trouble. No, Israel's in trouble. Why? Because they're living in a bad neighborhood. And, 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 every, and everybody around them has some formidable weapons. They live in a bad neighborhood. And now he says, to provoke them to jealousy. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. It's very strange to me that a Gentile nation, and I know that many of you will probably differ with me on it, but a Gentile nation chiefly is really there for their support. And so to bring them to jealousy, there was God intended something greater for them than what they have. And what you can see in a picture, like a moving picture, right in front of us, you can see God moving on their behalf and we are now doing for them what they could have been doing for us. And this is the way so many believers are. So many believers will believe that they can do their own thing. So many believers believe that they can keep living like they live and there's no recompense coming. There's no judgment coming. There's no dealing with them that's coming. And they think I'm all right, God loves me. I, I believe that and that's not enough. You have to have biblical words, not your own. So here, the scripture says, uh, let me read a few of these. I've read them before, but let me read them. So Paul says in verse 
verses 13 and 14, for I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Notice what he says. And so it's not like I have a good idea and I can operate from my good idea. I must have a God idea. I must have something that comes from God. Paul says, I magnify my ministry. When we look at those words, I magnify. Why does Paul, as it were, enlarge his ministry or put his ministry under a uh, telescope or at the end of a telescope or a magnifying, a, magne, what do you got? a magnifying glass or a microscope. He says, if I, if I do that, why, does, why do I do that? Why do I enlarge it that I may provoke to jealousy those who are of my flesh and save some of them? And I've said to you a multiplicity of times that that is a desire of mine. My desire is not to just be uh, like pro-Israel right or wrong. Uh, it's not my desire. My desire is to be for right <laughs> and to be for truth. And, but I, I find myself in a place where I want to provoke them. I want to provoke them to jealousy. I want to, as Paul says, magnify it. I want to enlarge it. I want to shout aloud from the rooftop who we are and what we have because any discerning Jew, when God touches the heart, that, that Jewish person knows that was mine. That was mine. Yeah, a relationship with Yahweh, a relationship with Yahweh, not that Yahweh is in the mount, on the mountaintop, not just that Yahweh is in the, the tent, not that Yahweh is in the holy of holies and the, the, the priests can't minister, no, but right now we are a people who Yahweh, we are now Yahweh's temple, Yahweh lives in the house, that was for them. And you have to understand that. And this is what, what we are. And we find ourselves in an amazing way uh, living in a time period when they can see, I believe, clearer than before. Let's look at Deuteronomy 32, 21. And God talks about the, uh, the Jewish people and he talks about how disobedient they were. And our brother, dear brother Roni says, he says uh, sort of a, in a jocular way, he says, uh, boy, he said, how would you like to be God's chosen people? He sort of laughs. He talks about how difficult life has been. He said, you want to be chosen? Well, uh, Brother Roni, yes, I want to be chosen. I want to be chosen. We go through some things. They have provoked me to jealousy. How did they provoke God to jealousy? They had the only true God, had a relationship with the only true God, uh, and they were his chosen people and, and are, but they gave him up. So what does it say? They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. And God's saying, I'm jealous. I feel, I feel some heat, some passion against them because they are flirting around with something that's not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols, but I will provoke them to jealousy. <laughs> they provoked me to jealousy. I will provoke them to jealousy. God, this is amazing. We have a front row seat and we're watching this amazing drama play out and we are part, uh, we are the audience, but we also are part of the cast. Amen. I, you, you, if, you don't, if you don't like this, I don't know what you like. You know, you know if you don't like some, uh, a Bubba's burger, I don't know how to help you. <laughs> you, know, you know, like uh, Kiko's fajitas, forget it. I can't help you, man. All right? So look here. So he says, but I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. That was us. 
I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. And in Acts chapter 13, let's look at Acts chapter 13, verse 46. It will amplify it still further in Paul's boldness. And I believe that we should be bold without being arrogant. Look at what he says here. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary. Look at that word necessary. Look, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, always to the Jew first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves, this is chilling, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. By your conduct, you judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life. You've judged yourself unworthy of everlasting life. And every time you sin willfully, choose yourself over God. You choose your feelings over what he might feel. You judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life. He says, behold, or when that word behold, we don't too much get it in modern English, but it means gaze at this, look at this. You know, be transfixed on this. He says, we turn to the Gentiles. That had to be piercing to many of them. Let's look at one more. In Acts chapter 18, verses 5 and 6, he says, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled, he was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Now notice what he says. His compelling was not because he just wanted to do something good, a good work, but he was compelled by the Spirit. He was compelled by the Spirit. The Spirit of Christ compels us. He moves in us in such a way that there are times we want to do one thing, but we must do another. Why? Because of the life of the Spirit of God, he compels us. Yeah. He compels us. He compels us. He compels me in my own life. He compels me. He's compelled me to do things that I could not do, that I felt like I cannot do. I, I don't have the capacity. And he says, walk with me. And he, as a little kid, he took, he was, he's taken me by the hand and walked me into places I feared to go. I feared to go. I feared to go. I'm not ashamed to say I feared to go because somebody said, well, I'm not afraid of uh, windbag. My, my humanity feared to go. He's taken me by the hand and taken me places, and I don't talk about them so much anymore because some think, oh, he's boasting. I'm not boasting in me. Yes, I am boasting, but not in me. I'm boasting in the, in the God of my salvation. I'm boasting in Jesus Christ. Yes, Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So that is my boast is in him. Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I go to the Gentiles. Wow. Wow. And so you and I, when we look at this, I want to be crystal clear. I want to be crystal, crystal clear to all of us. We are members of the body of Christ. That This Paul is not talking about us in this particular aspect of the chapters. He's not talking about us in, in, the, in the sense that we are now 
Jews and Gentiles. This is what he says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. So I want us to be very, very clear because sometimes you have to have a very clear delineation of this truth or you can misunderstand. So right now, uh, I look in the room and I know, I know there's at least one person uh, who come from Abraham's physical stock here. There's one, at least one person I know here who come from there. But he is, he is uh, of Jewish heritage, but he's not a Jew. Let me tell you why. Look at this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And so the church is a body uh, of, of all believers, but we have become a new humanity, not anything of the old. This is so big. So while the Jewish nation, the Jews were, were in rebellion against God, rejecting their, their, their Savior, rejecting their Messiah, God began to create, as it were, a different kind of an entity. And that's who we are. We're a new humanity. I don't know if, if that can just get into your spirit in one fell swoop, but being a new humanity is so huge to me. I, I study, I, I, uh, I chew it. I ingest it, and it's like the cow in the could. You know what a could is? A could is that thing that the cow chews, and they'll all be out there chewing it, and, and, uh, and then they'll, they'll swallow and chew, and then they'll, they're, after a while you see them, and they bring it up and chew some more and chew some more, and that's the way the truth is. I, you know, did you like that demonstration I just gave you? Yeah, I, I grew up in the country. You know, I said I, I'm looking for city examples, but it's like God dwelt in the country side, right? But, uh, but I, I remember seeing the old cow just chewing, 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 chewing all the way. So they're chewing the cud, and so they would just do it over and over. Well, I think that the Word of God is like that. The Word of God is like that. You just, every time you come up, there's some more juice in it. There's just, it's amazing. There's some more juice in it. And so let's understand what we have and then who we are and what we can do. Let's understand that. Let's understand that. This is not like three yards in a cloud of dust like the old football players, you know. You know, they would go up, you know, let's go off, off of uh, uh, right guard, uh, let, let's go up left guard, let's go up behind the center, three yards in a cloud of dust, which means that you can never really make a first down if all you make uh, are three yards. You just make three yards. You can never win making just three yards. So Christianity is not like three yards and a cloud of dust. It's some razzle and dazzle in that thing. Yeah, some razzle and dazzle in that thing. There's some Tom Brady in that thing. Yeah, there's some Jerry Rice in that thing. Uh, there's some uh, Patrick who? Patrick Mahomes. Oh, you didn't have to. Thank you for helping me. There's some Patrick Mahomes in that thing. Are you with me? Are you with me? Give me a good running back. There's some Barry Sanders in that. There's some Emmett Smith in that. You know what I'm saying? There's some razzle-dazzle. There's some Lance Rensel. You know how old I am. There, there's, there's some of that in there. there, there's, there there's some Junius Doral in there. Yeah. 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 Hallelujah. All right, what can I say? Some razzle-dazzle. And so your Christianity is not dull. It's not a dull. It's so uh, 
amazingly filled with life, or as Sister Susan said once, teeming with life, as she used that expression. This thing is teeming with life. And I see that, that in my walk with Jesus, I want it to be your walk with Jesus because I'm so grateful for longevity. I'm, lo I'm grateful for that. That just means you got old. That's all that means. Longevity is a nice way of saying you've gotten old now. I'm grateful for that. Why am I grateful for that? Because I learned things at 74 that I didn't know at 73. I learned things at 75 that I didn't know at 74. And I'm learning things at 76 that I didn't know at 75. I'm saying, Lord, keep me here so that I might apprehend, lay hold of you more and more and more. And this is what Paul is saying to us. This is what Paul is saying to us. So he, he wants to continue here in, in verse Verse 15, it says, for if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world. And so God ca cast them away. He says, wait a minute. It's almost like saying if you grew up in some neighborhoods, it's like saying, I'm going to put you out here before I hurt you. <laughs> it's like saying that. Hey, I, I, you know, it's like a parent being so disappointed and angry at that, with that stubborn, rebellious child. They said, leave the room before I hurt you. You know, some of y'all say, what, did parents ever say that? Oh, we need to have a testimony service sometime. <laughs> so Jesus is saying this. The scripture is saying, for if they're being cast away is the reconciling of the world. So God cast them away. And so you and I don't exalt in the fact that he cast them away, but that he, he reconciled us, brought us to himself, and now God is never reconciled to us. We are always reconciled to God. And he says, so if they're casting away, they're being repudiated, being set aside, is the reconciling of the world. Paul asks a question, and he anticipates the answer when he says, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Like, uh, you, you should say, yes, that's right. So, so we are like, their acceptance is going to be like life from the dead. So they're casting away is reconciling of the world, uh, but their acceptance is going to be like you and I are going to be watching somebody get out of the grave. That's what God is doing, and I believe it's our day. So you're going to watch it, you know. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Wouldn't it be amazing if we were all sitting here and there's somebody, there's a casket here, and somebody was in here and they were in there, and we walked out and said, and said in Jesus' name, get them, they got out. Some of you would get out before you could enjoy it. Well, maybe I should change that and say some of us would get out of here before we get in drunk. Yeah, yeah, but, but that's what it's going to be like. It's, it's a resurrection. And then he goes on to amplify. And what Paul does here by the Holy Spirit, this is what God can do for every ordinary, quote, unquote, because there are no real ordinary citizens in the kingdom. They're all sons of God. They are majestic. They're amazing. But just, just say for the sake of my message that there are ordinary believers here and and uh, the, the ordinary believer, the ordinary believer can do these amazing and stupendous things. That's what God wants us to understand. So Paul is amplifying this in a way that we can grasp it. Let's look at verse 16. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And what he's saying is that when uh, the Israelis or the Jewish people made, uh, say, their dough to their bread dough, and then they were going to make some cakes and put them out before God. They would make these 12 cakes and put it in the, in the holy place, and uh, it's called the showbread or the bread of the presence of God, and they put one, a loaf for every, every uh, tribe, 
and uh, it's, our, it's the bread of the presence. It says, if that part of the dough is holy, uh, if uh, the first fruit then is holy, that is this offer to God, then the lump, the batch that they got it from is also holy. And this is a very profound point that you and I must understand. And it's not like, oh, I'm just for, for Israel. I'm just, yeah, you can be that. But I'm for truth. And so wherever God's truth is, that's where I want to be. And so, yes, I have a good view because I was taught that from my childhood by our father. He taught us that. He taught me that love. He taught us that love. And so, but Paul goes on to amplify by saying, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. So let's, let's just use our mind's eye quickly and just say there's a root in the ground there of this tree and it's holy, it's separated to God. Then everything up from the root is holy. And so Paul wants us to understand that this amazing way that God is dealing with Israel. What he wants us, to, the church, to, to, uh, not to do is to boast against Israel, or boast against the Jews. He says, so, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and that's, that's what happened, and you, being a wild olive tree, you were a wild olive tree, I was, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker or a sharer of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. So you and I have been, been sharers. We have been receiving from all that God promised to Abraham. God, Abraham was God's friend. That's, that, that's mind-boggling to me. I don't remember, remember somebody say, I'm a friend of God. Well, that's scary to me. That's like my little granddaughter, Mariah, when she was about four years old. I told you the story, but I like it. She said, God is scary. I said, yes. So my wife said, her grandmother said, oh, God's not scary. I said, yes, he is. <laughs> I know people have, may, may not like that. They're like, oh, God is scary. I tell you what, God, we're here right now. You fall on your face. My God ain't scary. <laughs> I mean, he scared everybody that's out for it in the Bible. Everybody I read that had an encounter, they fell. They fell because they got you, or, or they just fell, you know. <laughs> you know, Paul, this little bad, he was bad as long as he was in control on the road, on the road to Damascus. He fell, and, and he got up blind. Mariah, God is scary. But I understood what that baby was saying. You know, all the things she had heard about God. Ooh, yeah, but listen how, how amazing he is. He's so, he's so wonderful. He's beautiful in every way. Uh, this is what he did. He did something contrary to nature. You see, you, you, when you have, let's say you have an orange tree. We're in South Texas. You have an orange tree, and um, your, your oranges are, they are, you got a good orange tree, but the branches up here, they're not producing stuff. You can take uh, 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 an old, uh, like, let me, let, me stop, let me change my analogy. You've got a, a, a bitter tree, and uh, you want to, but it's not producing good fruit because it's sour. You've had these sour oranges down here. And so you take a, this tree and you'll put uh, a good branches from or stock from a good tree, you'll put it there, and, and there are three things you need. You need a, a sharp instrument. You need, uh, in the old way we, we grafted, you would need a hammer and some nails. And you would cut it, and then you would put it together, bind it. You would nail the nails in there so that the 
wild tree that was strong and could handle all of the uh, bad climatic conditions in this area and uh, so forth, and, and you would produce good fruit from that graft up. I hope I said it clearly for you. You could produce it from the graft up, but God did something that was totally contrary to nature. God took a bad branches and grafted them into a good root. And we were the bad branches. And then, and then, and then the good root produced good fruit through that graft. That, that's contrary. You don't do that. Nobody goes out and get a bad stock and put it on something good because you get bad, but God did something contrary to nature. And so you have to understand the greatness of your salvation. Let, let me keep going. This is so beautiful. So he says to us, um, let me go ahead and read it all over again. And if, if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them, with them, not apart from them, became a partake of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, Remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. And so what he's talking about is, is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But, but even more than that, he is talking about the seed of Abraham. Who, who is the seed of Abraham? Jesus is the seed of Abraham. And so it is through that grafting process that we became who we are. This is so beautiful. And then he says, he, he anticipates some of us, you know, there's some of us who are just really smart or smart alecky, you know. And in verse 19, it says, you will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. And I've seen some of those people, you know, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. He said, well said. Well said, I like, don't you like it, Paul? So smart, so brilliant. Because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. So what Paul is saying here, he doesn't mean, oh, be afraid. <laughs> I could go there. No, he's not saying that. He is saying is that in God's wisdom, God did not spare natural branches. So in God's wisdom, he may not spare those other branches. He said, you stand by faith. You stand by faith, right? Um, you and I stand by faith. So, but that doesn't mean like the uh, in the 70s and so forth, maybe the 80s and even 90s, perhaps, and even to, till today, that some faith teachers taught us, some faith teachers taught us that that it was my faith and, and my faith, and I could do this with my faith. Like they could manipulate God because they had this thing called faith. That was totally er error. That was totally error. No, my faith is in him. My faith is because of him, firstly, and then it is in him. Listen, how faith works. And I've said this to you a multiplicity of times, but I want to continue. And uh, I think repetition is sometimes a good way to learn. What happened was God just had grace. He is just the unmerited favor of God. Unmerited favor of God. It wasn't because you were cute. It wasn't because of all those wonderful things that you think about yourself. But the unmerited favor of God, unmerited favor, God looked upon you. Not, well, God saw what he could do. No! You, but without him, you can do nothing. 
So God looked at you, had mercy on you, and brought you into faith. And then the faith that began to work in you that God brought, right? It was, it was through grace that God, you have the faith. And so this faith now is working and working and working, and it brings you into a place of just standing in grace, flourishing in grace. And so that's what happens. So Paul is saying that you and I stand by this thing that God did for us. Wow. Wow. And so let me, and when we said, when Paul says God might not spare you, he means that God might not forbear with you or God might not treat you leniently. You know, I remember hearing that word when it was Mrs. Rutledge in school. She said, hey, do y'all want me to be lenient with you? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Please. Because they had punishment in those days. Yeah, you go to school, they punish you, they punish you. Your, your kids don't know a thing. Yeah, they would punish you. You know how they would punish you? They'd give you licks in front of everybody. I tried to be good every day. I, tried, I failed. And what was so bad about it, some of the guys would, would, would laugh at it. At recess, you'd have a rough time. So, but he's saying, God might not be lenient with you. Lenient with you. Let's look at verse 22. He says to us, Yeah. Okay, he says to us in verse 22, therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. Consider both of them. On those who fail, severity. But toward you, goodness. I'm grateful. When we talk about the goodness of God, sometimes we sing those songs, we're just thinking about something that just happened last week. But this happened in, in the process of time in the past. God's goodness. He says, if you continue in his goodness, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. And so I, I, I want to be very clear that we're not talking about a Jew and a Gentile in the body of Christ. We're talking about a new man in the body of Christ. And so what Paul talks about is that God will be able to graft them into this body that we're in, this part that we're in. Let's look at, he says, for if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, that's, that was us, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? And so this is what we're looking for. This is what we're looking for. So I am looking for this. And as I read the prophetic word, I, I see that God is doing something really great in the earth. And I believe that this is a time when God is doing something really great in the earth. And Israel is in the land. We know that. And I know there are a lot of people want to argue about some historical facts. But if you really want to know the historical facts, if God gives you something, it's yours. And I am not against anybody there. I'm not against that. I don't draw these lines in the sand. I'm against the, I'm for this race. I'm against that race. I'm for this people group. I'm against that people. I'm not that way. God has brought me to where I, I, I don't live there. Totally above that. How can I be for one and, and not the other when I look out and see this beautiful tapestry? And when I travel around the world, whether I'm in Europe or Asia or Africa or South America, wherever I've been, and I see all these beautiful people, how can I be against them and give them the bread of life? It's an impossibility. It's an impossibility for you as well. Let's look at verse 25. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant or unaware of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion or in your own estimation. You know, some people think they're real smart. 
right? You, you've seen people like that. She said, lest you be wise in your own estimation, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until, can you say until? until the fullness of the or completeness of the Gentiles has come in. And you and I don't know when that moment is, but there's going to be a day when the last Gentile that that God himself foreknew that that's a good word in the Bible. You got to get that internalized foreknew. Knew you before. When that last Gentile that God calls, when that last Gentile comes in, the door is shut. And then Israel will no longer be blind until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And from Luke chapter 21, verse 24, I'll read it just for your, your, your clarity. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive, Jesus is saying this, into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Wow. So you and I are living in an amazing day. Amazing day. Let's read Romans eleven twenty six. And so all Israel will be saved. I'm going to stop there for a moment. I know there are some people who don't like this and they parse this scripture. I believe it means, it means what it says. And I just, I'm full-throated with you. I think a couple of times in my ministry, I've, I've come back and said to the church, hey, forgive me, I overspoke a couple of times. That's pretty good for a 50-year ministry. Amen. But I, I have done that. But I believe it means what it says. And all Israel, he said, no, it doesn't mean all Israel. We, 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 we Bible teachers start to tell you what we think rather than what God has said. But I believe that what's going to happen at this particular juncture, God is going to save a nation. What God is going to do, you see, because there's going to be a great, at some point in the future, there's going to be a great war there, and the Antichrist is going to do a lot of evil, diabolical things. He's going to lie, and there's going to be great calamity in Israel. Not what, I see, what you and I see right now, but even greater in the future. And so my, my heart is always to, to be there and, and try to make them jealous. And when they get real jealous, I'm going to bless them. You know, you know I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that because I want them to have uh, this amazing blessing that God has given to me and my family. And so at that juncture, every Jewish person that is living that escapes that, I believe will be safe. That's what I believe. He says, and so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion. Now listen, who is he? Jesus. And he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now, if the deliverer or since the deliverer is Jesus and nobody can pluck us out of his hand, he will come. The Bible says, the, the, and all Israel be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come out of where? Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So how can you be lost if ungodliness is turned away? Because they will now look upon him whom they have pierced, and they will mourn and cry, and they will be separate and call on him, and when they call on him, he'll come. I like what the preacher says when he was asked, how, do you, how are you saved? He said, go to God, go to Jesus, and call on him until he comes. And this is what this means here. They will call on him, and he will come, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. I can just see 
see him right now. He's sitting on his throne. He, he, he is disappointed, quote unquote, with, with his people. They have rejected him. They, yes, they've crucified him. They would not accept him because they followed the Pharisees instead of Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit and the prophets. And they will say, we messed up, or whatever they say. And come, please come, come. And he, he will not be able, quote unquote, to restrain himself. He will not be able. Hallelujah, Hallelujah somebody. I can just see it now. He won't be able to. He'll come off his throne. He'll rescue them with a rescue the earth has never seen. That's what he'll do. And then he says in verse 27, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, the God's sovereign choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. They're beloved. You know, you love your children even when they disobey you. You haven't had a child. You may say, I'm not going to do such and such. I'm not going to do it. And you see them in pain. Your love for them constrains you. And you rescue them. Jesus sees their travail. He's going to rescue them because they are beloved for the sake of the father, for what he talked with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob about. And then he goes on, Paul goes on to further put nails of truth here. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. I'm not here because I was smarter than everybody and more godly. I'm here because of the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. I stand here without apology saying I was foreknown by God. I will stand here without apology and saying you were you were here by you are here by foreknowledge of God. God foreknew you. Whether you understand it or not, God foreknew you. God lives in the eternal now. You can't say that God is here when he's not there already. You say, no, he was there. No, he is there. My past is, is a present. My present is present. My future is present with God. And so are your futures, future and past. For you, now listen, Paul goes in to conclude, and I'm going to be done in short while. For you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. Even so, these also have now been disobedient that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. You've you got to have the Holy Ghost to write like that. No, no. You've got to have the Holy Ghost. Yeah. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Oh, and listen to what he says. So, so he gets, 
he, he acts like he was one of those, I, I grew up in the Kojic church. So it's like God, the Kojic people are like God here. So Paul, I'm going to read that and then I'm going to, this, I'm going to end it. He said, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. Even so, these also have now been disobedient that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. And Paul says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. See, he's, 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 he's excited now. I mean, he's bringing his sermon to a conclusion. And he says, he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord? I wish I had one of those Baptist preachers right here. Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Amen. That's God. That's our God. Our Lord. Our God. Our Savior. That's Jesus. Hallelujah. He's not going to lose you, brother. He's not going to lose you, sister. He can't lose you. In Jesus' name, I'll be back in a moment.